Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Tanvid Nasir, CEO of Tanvid Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers both virtual and in-person leadership talks and workshops on a variety of leadership topics. To learn more about our services and how we can help, visit our company's website at tanvidnasir.com. And now, I'm pleased to introduce our guest for this episode, Stephen M. R. Covey. The ability to create trust is really the number one competency of leadership needed today, more than any other. And the reason that's so is because if we get good at trust as a leader, it impacts and changes our ability to do every other competency that we need to have as a leader. There's no question that if you're going to succeed as a leader, you need to gain and extend trust to those under your leadership. But if that's the case, why do we continue to see such low levels of trust for those in leadership positions in every area of society? What are we as leaders missing when it comes to understanding and building trust? That's one of the questions I'll be exploring in this episode with my special guest, Stephen M. R. Covey. Stephen is the co-founder of Covey Link and the Franklin Covey Speed of Trust Practice and the former CEO of the Covey Leadership Center. As a global authority on trust, leadership, and culture, Stephen sits on several boards to help organizations tap into the multiplying effects that fostering and promoting trust creates. He's also the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything, a seminal book on the nature of trust and the focus of my conversation with Stephen in this episode. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tanvir. Delighted to be here with you. So, Stephen, one of the common themes on this show, which reflects what I often speak and write about, is this idea that what's critical to our ability to succeed at leadership today is our ability to build and nurture relationships with those we lead, as doing so allows us to better understand what matters to our employees, what motivates them, and then connecting those insights to the vision or goals we create so we can harness the full potential and talents of our team. And I think we can all agree that how effective you are in building these kinds of deep and sustainable relationships with your employees is both being trustful and creating a trusting work environment. And yet, if you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer over the last few years, and including this year, we continue to see these low levels of trust found in many areas of society. So to start our conversation today, Stephen, I would love to hear your thoughts on what's behind this disparity where Leaders now recognize that a significant part of being an effective leader is relationship building. And yet, despite that, we continue to see these high levels of mistrust, both within organizations and from the outside looking in. I think it's a great observation because you're exactly right. Um, we're, we're living in an increasingly low trust world where the trust is going down all around us. And, and um, you mentioned the Edelman Trust Barometer. And, you know, they measure trust in different institutions in 28 countries around the world. And most of the world is, 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 you know, what they call a distruster and in most institutions. And, and so here's the reason that's relevant, because distrust is contagious and it tends to kind of perpetuate and spread and distrust and suspicion Tends tends to create more distrust, trust, and suspicion. When when there's low trust, when people violate a relationship, um, 
either a lack of integrity or, or, or self-serving intent, or they don't deliver, they don't perform, they don't come through. Um, we all become a little bit more careful, a little bit more cautious, a little bit more guarded, a little bit more suspicious, because none of us want to get burned. And when we're operating in a world that's kind of filled with distrust and suspicion, we become a little bit more distrustful and suspicious ourselves. And so we need to counteract that and be intentional about saying, no, there's a better way to lead. There's a better way to operate. And you named it. You know, we want to build relationships of trust because the best relationships, the most enduring relationships, I'm going to say this, the happiest relationships are those in which people can trust each other. But we have to kind of counteract the gravity of a low trust world that tends to perpetuate itself and build on itself and spread. You know, I like to say distrust is, is contagious. And, and say, no, there's a better way to lead and to operate and to build relationships based upon trust, to lead with trust, to be both trustworthy, but also to be trusting and see that as a better way and kind of counteract kind of the environment that we find ourselves in of a low trust world. And so I think that's maybe the biggest factor is just kind of what we're surrounded by. And, and then also I would say that, you know, being in a 24-7 news media world and social media where where a mistake um you know some some act of distrust a violation is magnified it's seen immediately and and uh, so we see that gosh you start to wonder you know what else is happening out there can i trust people when you see these violations of trust that are just you know shouted out um everywhere in social media and the like you start to become a little bit more suspicious itself and so i think we got to counteract our, the environment we find ourselves in and say there's a better way to lead and to operate and it's to build relationships of trust because that will change everything. So that's, I think, some of the pressure that's on us is the distrust all around us. Right. And Stephen, I love this definition you share in your book about what leadership is, where you write, leadership is getting results in a way that inspires trust which wonderfully encapsulates why leaders need to be mindful of this, especially in light of the findings like those I just mentioned. And one of the things I found particularly fascinating about your book, Stephen, is how you demonstrate that trust is not only something that we can actually quantify, but how it's really multi-layered nuanced. For example, early on in your book, you point out how when most people think about trust, we think of it in terms of one's character. But there is another element to building trust, and that is competence, which interestingly is also what the latest Edelman Trust Barometer study found as being a critical factor to building trust. But as you illustrate in your book, our ability to address these two elements of trust is impacted by how well we address them and what you identify as the five waves of trust. And this is such a fascinating model. So to help us shape our conversation today, Stephen, could you just provide a brief overview of what these five layers to trust are? Absolutely. So here's a way for our listeners to envision this. Imagine the drop of water coming down and then the ripples, the waves kind of rippling out from that initial drop. I view these as the five waves of trust. And it starts at the inside and, and ripples out. And these are different dimensions, as you use the term, you know, dimensions of trust, waves of trust. And so the very first wave where it all begins is self-trust. Do I trust myself? Do I give to my team a leader who they can trust? Is it smart to trust me? It then ripples out from ourself to the second wave, which is 
our relationship trust, building that trust one-on-one. It then ripples out from our relationships to our team, our group, what we might call our organization. Now, if I'm the CEO of the company, it's the whole company. If I'm the leader of a team, it's my team. If I'm a teacher at school, it's my class. You know, that's my organization. And, you know, that's, that's more than a relationship. That's multiple relationships coming together on a team with a purpose. We then, that's the third wave, the, the organizational trust. We then ripple out from there to the fourth wave, which is now, um, I call it market trust. And that's building trust with our stakeholders. So that's with our customers and with our partners. Could be with our shareholders, if you're a publicly traded company or where we have investors. It could be with uh, different stakeholders, regulators and the like, building that trust externally. It then ripples out from there to the fifth wave, which I call societal trust, which is kind of the community, the society at large. That's all about contribution and creating value to overcome this low trust world. And so there's five waves of trust, self-trust, relationship trust, organizational trust, market trust, societal trust. My main point in, these, in, in addressing these five ways is to say this, that high trust teams, high trust cultures, high trust companies are created from the inside out, meaning self-trust precedes relationship trust. And relationship trust precedes good team trust, which precedes organizational trust, which precedes customer trust, which precedes um, societal trust, inside out. And think about it, because if you don't trust yourself as a leader, how are you going to build trust with others? If you're not trustworthy, how are others going to trust you? It's got to be inside out. And when it is, it becomes more natural, more abundant to ripple out. And that's why I use the metaphor of the ripple effect, because your influence, your ability to impact and influence others ripples out if we start with ourselves and then move to those relationships, which is a big part of what your message is, Tanvir, to build those relationships of trust and then to the team and the culture. And then you go out to the customers in the marketplace inside out for yourself, starting with yourself, looking in the mirror and giving to others a person who they can trust, a leader who they can trust. That's the idea behind the five waves of trust. Now, Stephen, given the way you just described these five waves of trust, I'm sure it comes as no surprise that I'd like to explore the first wave of trust with you, what you call self-trust, because I think not just for leaders, but for anyone, if we want to improve things, whether at work or in our personal lives, the most effective place to start is with ourselves, because frankly, the easiest person you can get to make a change is yourself. That's right. But as you describe in your book... This first wave is quite important because this one revolves around our credibility as a leader. And I love how you break this down into what you call the four cores of credibility, integrity, intent, capabilities, and results. And I especially like how you point out, going back to what you mentioned at the start of our conversation, which basically is the umbrella of your book, that how these four cores fall into those buckets of character and competence with integrity and intent reflecting our character and capabilities and results demonstrating our competence. Now, obviously, when we think about being credible, we naturally think of operating with integrity. But how do these other three intent, capabilities and results fit into our credibility and with it, our level of self-trust, Stephen? Yes. So 
kind of to what you were addressing earlier, for most people, the starting point when they think of trust, they start with integrity. They think of integrity and trust almost interchangeably. And I am pointing out that yes, trust is the foundation, excuse me, integrity is the roots and the foundation of trust. And that does flow from your character, but there's also a competence half to trust that, you know, someone could be honest and could be really caring, but not able to deliver. They don't come through, they don't perform. So I might trust them to watch my home or my apartment if I went on a vacation or a holiday, right? Because they're honest, but I might not trust them on a key project or with a key client or on a key deliverable. It has to be done well and on time if they don't have a track record of performing. That lack of competence could undermine my trust. Now, clearly the reverse is true. Someone could be high in competence, but low in character. So they could, you know, be good at delivering, getting the job done, but maybe they run everybody over in the process. Or maybe they're cutting corners, being unethical, or violating the values of the firm. So, you know, the competence is, is tremendous, but I also want to see the character. You need both the character and the competence to build the trust. That makes you credible. And so what I try to do here is just to say, let's take this construct of character and competence and go even one level down to make it even more practical, more tangible, more actionable. And that is what you described, the four cores of credibility. The first two belong to character, the, the, the next two belong to competence. And the very first core, integrity, and by the way, I use the metaphor of a tree. So if you think of a tree, you have the roots of the tree, the trunk of the tree, the branches of the tree, and the fruits of the tree. And I fit the four cores of credibility into the, that metaphor. So the roots of the tree is integrity. Now this one people get, and that was your point, is most of us get this one. You start with integrity. It is the roots, it's the foundation. That's honesty, that's truthfulness. It's doing the right thing. It takes uh, humility to have integrity. It also takes courage because it's relatively easy to do the right thing when there's not a cost or consequence to doing so. So the test of integrity is when there's a cost or a consequence. So I think most of us get that one, integrity. But I think it's really helpful to understand these next three cores of credibility and why they matter. So I'll give you the second one. It's the trunk of the tree, the, the integrity being the roots. It also flows from our character, and I call it intent. And intent, simply put, is our motive and our agenda. And the motive that best builds credibility and trust is caring when you care about the people that you lead and they know you you care about them when you care about the people that you're selling to and they know you care about them caring is the motive and the agenda that best builds credibility and trust is when you seek mutual benefit that's called win-win yes i want to win of course i do but i want your win too in fact i want your win as much as i do my own when people sense that taste that experience that you're, that you're seeking mutual benefit you care about them you're seeking their interests as well as your own they tend to trust you if they don't if they just see you as self-serving only caring about yourself your win your interests and not theirs they withhold the trust so your intent matters just like your integrity does and someone could have good integrity be honest but have self-serving intent the bottom line is they won't be trusted so integrity and intent flow from your character, the roots and the trunk of the tree. Now the upper half is the, the competence half, 
the branches and the fruit. So the, the third core is the branches. I call it capabilities. And that's your talents and your skills and your expertise and your knowledge. And the key question here is this. Are we relevant? Are we learning, growing, improving, getting better, staying relevant? And, you know, always learning. That's why you do this podcast is to help people grow in capabilities and talents around leadership to become more relevant because that keeps you trusted in a world. If you, if you lose that relevancy, you could lose the credibility and the trust, whether from your own people or from the market. So companies recreate themselves to stay relevant. Companies do it. Functions do it. Leaders do it. Got to always stay relevant. And those branches produce the fruits. And that's the fourth core of credibility. It's the fruits. The, I call it results. It's our performance, our current performance, our past performance. Now, why does that matter? Because people do project upon us future performance based upon what they've seen. When they see a track record of results, it gives them confidence, trust. But if there's a lack of results, if we don't perform or we're inconsistent or, you know, if it's non-existent, in other words, if there's no fruit on the tree or the fruit is rotten, there will be a gap in that confidence, that trust that people have. I've got to deliver. I've got to perform to keep, to sustain, to grow the trust. And so I like to highlight all four dimensions, all four cores of credibility are vital. If I lack in any one of those, I'll be less credible and therefore have a harder time building, sustaining, growing trust. But if I start with the foundation of credibility in these four dimensions, integrity and intent flowing from my character, capabilities and results flowing from my competence, now that is giving to others a leader who they can trust. It would be smart to trust me. And, and I, look, I, I do the same with others. I kind of am assessing their credibility in those four dimensions of how much and how easy it is for me to trust others based upon those four things as well. So it's kind of a framework, a way of getting your arms around the, the dimensions of trust that are so vital because it starts with that individual personal credibility. And I've given four cores that describe what that credibility is. That's the idea. Really love that metaphor, Stephen, of that tree, because it really does illustrate the interdependence between these four cores of credibility and how a gap in one can really erode not just your credibility, but your ability to engender trust. And, you know, again, I'd love to explore these four cores of credibility with you because I imagine most of us like to think we have a strong core, that our tree, as you describe the metaphor, is a strong, sturdy tree. And yet, as you pointed out in describing these five levels of trust, our ability to foster trust begins with ourselves. And so if we are seeing these low levels of trust being expressed about leaders today, I think this warrants some self-reflection to ascertain what areas do we need to improve on. So with that being said, let's start with what I see as being both the easiest and hardest one, integrity. And the reason I say that is because I imagine the majority of us see ourselves as being someone of integrity. So what are some of the ways we might be unknowingly sabotaging ourselves? And even if we're not, how can we make sure that we are, in fact, leading with integrity? Yes, great, great question. Um, because it is the roots. It is the foundation. And, and, um, and I'll also point this out, that when we do uh, trust surveys, like on a team, or in a division, department. Um, but you know, let me just simplify it. When we do a trust survey for a teen, here's what we find. Everyone kind of assesses 
themselves in those four cores of credibility that I just mentioned. And then they assess their fellow team members in the same core, four cores of credibility. And we will typically find like a 30 point gap <laughs> between how people rate themselves in integrity. They see themselves on a zero to hundred scale, you know, at a 95 or sometimes even hundred percent. I'm doing really well with integrity. And then they rate their fellow team members on how much integrity they have. And they, they put them down at a 60 or a 65, you know, 30, 30 point gaps. And, and so, um, and these are, you know, so, it's, it's kind of human nature to think that we're doing pretty good, but everyone else could sure use more integrity. And, and uh, no one sees themselves as, you know, I don't have any integrity. So I think you're asking the right question of really kind of each of us looking in the mirror and saying, um, you know, this is the starting point, the roots of the tree, this integrity. And the stronger I can build that, that sense of clarity, integrity, power, the more trust I can build, the faster. And, and uh, it's immediate and it becomes apparent. And what often trips us up is kind of when we say one thing and then do another. When we say that, you know, I value this and then I do that. So I value collaboration and partnering and teaming. And yet I'm just being completely independent and scarcity in my thinking and not abundant. You know, that's, that's a misalignment between you know, what I say I value and how I live my life. And, and um, um, you know, when it, so when you, when there's a gap between what we say and what we do, that's a, that there, there's going to be a gap in integrity. See, I get asked, what's the difference between honesty and integrity? So honesty is when your words match reality. You, you know, you're, you're telling the truth. Your words match the truth, the, the reality out there. Integrity is when your reality um, matches your words. That is, you are who you say you are. You do what you say you're going to do. So your reality, what you do, matches your words, what you say. And that's integrity. And oftentimes we can kind of have a gap there. And we may not even be aware of it. And, and so um, that's, that is the right starting point. And I'm glad that you started with that because it's the most basic is the most foundational, and we all think we're probably doing really well here, and yet, like the data shows in the surveys, maybe we're not quite doing as well as we thought, at least from the perspective of others. So we can all get better at that foundational element. Can I give one little story? I'll make it fast on this one. Sure. I'll, I'll never forget one time, um, Tanvir, I was teaching the five waves of trust, and we took a break, and in in a, this was in a leadership development session at a, at a company. At the break, someone came up to me and said, hey, Stephen, this is really helpful because I realize now as you taught these five waves, especially that first wave, self-trust and integrity, I realize what my problem is. And I said, tell me more. He says, look, my whole life, I'm not happy with my career. I'm not where I thought I'd be in my life. Um, and I'm not where I thought I'd be in my career. And I've always blamed everybody else. You know, my, my first job, can't trust my boss. So I go to another job in the, in the same company, can't trust this new boss. Go to another company, can't trust the boss there. Can't trust the management, can't trust people. Come to my, home, my community, can't trust my neighbor. He goes, I don't even trust my kids. He goes, and so when you put up the five waves of trust, I realized my, I realized my problem. And then he kind of looked around to make sure nobody was looking. And then he 
leaned in and whispered to me and said these words, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. And I realize now I'm projecting that distrust of self out onto everybody else. It makes it me view the world through that I can't trust anyone because I don't trust myself. So what do I do? And my answer is what you've just identified, Tanvir, is that you've got to focus on self-trust and the, the heart, the starting point for self-trust is integrity. And the fastest way to build trust with yourself is to learn to, to, to make and keep commitments to yourself. Because it's interesting, the number one behavior that builds trust with other people is to make another person a commitment and to keep it. You want to build trust fast with others? Make and keep commitments with them. Guess what? That's the same way to build trust with yourself. Make and keep commitments to yourself. You do what you say you're going to do. And when you do that, especially in the little things, you know, I'm going to get up in the morning and exercise. Uh, you know, just in those little things, then you get a sense of clarity, of integrity, of power. You are who you say you are. You do what you say you're going to do. And from that um, flows all other dimensions of trust. But it starts with this key thing. And the, and the test of integrity is when, when it's hard, when it's difficult. Um, but you learn to make and keep commitments to yourself is a great way of improving that integrity, that self-trust. David, I love this idea that you just mentioned of being mindful of the commitments you make, as it reminds me of something I instilled in my daughters when they were little. Sometimes we'd be making plans to do something, and my daughters would get worried that we wouldn't have the time, or that my wife and I might change our minds, and now we're not going to do it after all. And I would always make a point to tell my daughters that I made a promise, and that a promise is a promise. In fact, I said it so many times that all I'd have to say is I promised, and they'd reply, and a promise is a promise. And I think this illustrates the next core credibility that you write about, intent. Now, again, this is where, one, we can see that many of us would say we do have the best of intentions. We do things with the best of intentions, right? But I know that in my work with leaders, and as you've shared with your story, many tend to admit that because of the rush to get things done or the larger number of demands on their plate, sometimes they make cuts that they wouldn't otherwise take just to keep on top of things, right? So their perception, just like how you described this leader and how he realized he didn't trust himself, it's our reality, as you also mentioned, that's affecting how we're approaching our behavior, our actions, our words, and that influences our intent. So with that in mind, Stephen, how can we better manage this core of credibility so we can feel more trust in our leadership and in our organization? I love it. It's a really important one. Um, and in fact, I would say this intent is maybe the highest leveraged of the four cores of credibility. Um, I didn't say that it was necessarily the most important because I have a hard time arguing with integrity, but it's the highest leverage in that it's maybe the one we can have the quickest and the fastest impact on because it's how we view the world. And we tend to judge ourselves by our intent, which we know but we tend to judge others by their behavior, which we see. We may or may not know their intent. And same thing with other, with, as people look at us, they see our behavior, they may or may not know our intent. And so here's what I've learned as a great best practice to our listeners, to build trust faster, to improve intent, 
um, you know, again, and again, intent is that, you know, that the, the motive is caring and the agenda is mutual benefit, win-win, versus being self-serving and uncaring. And so you want to improve intent. The best way I know to improve intent is to declare your intent. Declare yourself. Declare your intent. So you share not only what you're doing, but especially share why you're doing it. Always give the why behind the what. Sometimes people give the what, but they often don't give the why. The why gives meaning. The why gives context. The why can change everything. Give the why. Be open. Be transparent. Declare yourself. So here's how, how it might look. Let's say that you're the leader of a team. And you come in and you say, team, here's what we're trying to do. Here's why we're trying to do it. Here's my agenda. I don't have a hidden agenda. I have an open agenda. I'm transparent. There's nothing to hide. I declare my intent. I declare myself. I'm, I'm, now, the very act of doing that, of declaring your intent, you know, you're being vulnerable. But as Brene Brown says, when you, when you choose to lead with that vulnerability, people respond back. You make it safe for them to be vulnerable back. And you become real. You become authentic. And people tend to trust you. They don't think you're hiding something. They don't, they don't see you as having a hidden agenda, hidden motive. I wonder what he's trying to do. No, you're open, you're transparent. It also gives people a new lens through which they will view your subsequent behavior. They see you differently. And the thing about it is this, when you don't declare your intent to your people, when you don't declare yourself and your intent and open yourself up, be transparent, what do you suppose people are going to do anyways when you don't declare your intent? They're going to ascribe intent to you. <laughs> They're going to guess it. And, and it, you know, at best or at worst, they're going to project worst case fears or, you know, doubts and, and project their fears on you. And our rule is no guessing. Tell them, declare yourself, declare your intent. They'll, it will give them, it will give your people, your team, a new lens through which they will interpret your subsequent behavior. That's why it's such a powerful lever to build trust faster. And it's something that you can do differently walking out of this, you know, listening to this podcast, you get in a situation, declare your intent. And by the way, as a starting point, as you work with other people, start by assuming positive intent, at least until proven otherwise. It's such a better starting point. So imagine what if you as a leader got really good at declaring your intent and assuming positive intent. You'll go so much farther and faster in building trust with others. What if your team and the team members got good at this? What if you got good at this with customers and partners? These are practical, tangible ways to kind of build trust on purpose, intentionally. And intent is one of the key levers that builds it. And you want to get better at intent? Declare your intent and assume positive intent. Really powerful kind of best practices to put this into action. Love it. You know, Stephen, so far we've been discussing elements of fostering trust that are clearly tied to our character. What I'd like to do now is examine the other part of trust, that of competence, by looking at your credibility core of results. Now, when we think of credibility and fostering trust, results might not be on top of mind, but intuitively we can see how this would make sense. So how do we use results in a way that will help us build credibility and with it foster greater trust, Stephen? Yes. Well, like you say, when we start with trust, most people, you know, 
they, they clearly think of integrity, but they often don't think of results. But the reason why results is critical is that if someone could be honest, so have good integrity, and they also could be caring and seeking mutual benefit, have good intent, but if they don't come through, if they don't deliver, if they don't perform, if they don't keep that commitment, then you're gonna say, gosh, I can't, I can't trust them. And, and um, I had my own experience with this where, where when I first got in and, um, and became the CEO of Covey Leadership Center, I was only nine days on the job and we were meeting with the bank. So I'm nine days on the job as a new CEO. The bank tells me that they want to take away, pull away our line of credit. And that, you know, that's frightening because we're going to lose our ability to have cash, you know, to, to, to fund the business. And, and, and I asked, well, why? And they said, well, we've got 17 bank covenants and you're in violation of 10 of the 17 covenants. <laughs> and so we weren't performing. We weren't delivering. Um, we were not very profitable. We had this high growth with low margins and, and uh, negative cash flow, no outside capital. If you're a financial expert, if you do the business, you know, if you play that out, we're going to run out of cash and the bank was going to be left holding the bag. And so, you know, to the bank, they were asking the question when they give a loan, they're saying, can we trust the people we're giving this loan to? And their issue of trust, they, they were not fully trusting us. And it wasn't because they doubted our integrity. They didn't. They thought we were honest. It wasn't because they were doubting our intent that we cared about people and we were seeking mutual benefit. They knew we were that way. What they were doubting was, could we deliver? Could we perform? Could we do what we say we we're going to do? Could we keep these 17 bank covenants and, and show that we were less of a risk? And because we're, we're running a good business and we're profitable and we're doing those things. And we, we had to deliver results. And so they, they, they liked us. They thought we were honest, but they didn't fully trust us because we had not delivered. And so they wanted to pull our line of credit. So we said to them, can you work with us? And they said, okay, but we need to, we need to secure ourselves. So we, we all had to sign personal guarantees to make sure that we could keep the line of credit. And so then we went to work as a team. And what we focused on was we've got to deliver. We've got to perform. We need to improve our business model so that we can both add value to our customers. Yes, let's not lose sight of that, but do it in a way that works for us where we can become profitable so we can be sustainable and we can do that. Well, we began to change and we began to improve and we, we changed our business model. We got out of a lot of hobbies where we couldn't make any money. We began to become profitable. We began to perform. As we began to perform, become profitable, profitable we also began to pay down our debt. And so after a while of doing this for several months, the bank said, wow, we like what you're doing. You're less of a risk, you're delivering, you're more profitable and you're paying down your debt. You're more, you know, there's, you're more trustworthy and we're going to take away the personal guarantees now. Then we kept delivering, kept performing. You know, we did it as a team, as a company. And then over time they came back to us and said, hey, we would like to double your line of credit, which is trust for the bank. And so what changed in all of this? It wasn't our character. That was always good. It was our competence. It was our ability to deliver, to perform, to get results. It was results that converted the cynics. And so we've got to perform to keep trust. We've got to deliver. And at one level, you say that's self-evident. But at another level, 
too often we've severed results from trust and, and only focus on the integrity, the character part. And that is vital. It is the first among equals, the character, but the competence is its equal. And the competence is, you know, the branches and the fruits of the tree, your capabilities and your results, your performance, your track record of delivering. And that combination of all four of those dimensions is what makes you credible, it what makes your team credible, your company credible. And, a, and when you have that in place, then you can build trust exceptionally fast. But all four are vital. And too often we kind of skip through the, the upper half of the tree and the results piece thinking that that doesn't apply to trust when in fact it absolutely does just as much as the character piece does. Love it. That really illustrates the importance of results to engendering trust. Uh, so thanks for sharing that, Stephen. In fact, let me, in fact, let me just say this. Think about it to, as a listener. Have you ever looked at, you know, been in a relationship with somebody um, at work where you say, oh, I, I just not sure, sure I trust the person. And it may not be that you're doubting their integrity or their intent. It may be that you're wondering, will they deliver? Will they come through? So often trust issues are really competence issues of delivering and performing. Now it could be the other way around too. Maybe someone does deliver, but they are violating their values or running people over or being self-serving. So the four cores of credibility kind of give you a framework to understand why you do trust someone or don't trust someone and why people do or don't trust you, but also most importantly, know which of those four things to really work on that if you could improve, move the needle on would help you build trust better and faster with others. So it's how we view others. It's also how others view us of whether they can trust us. Perfect. Excellent analogy there. Okay, Stephen. So I want to pivot to the next wave of trust, which is relationship trust. So naturally, this is one I'd love to get your insights on. And for this one, you write how this one is about how we interact with others and that it comes down to 13 behaviors. Now, obviously, we don't have time to talk about all 13 of them. So what I'd like to do is just briefly touch on a few of them that caught my eye. And the first one is the behavior create transparency. Now, the idea of transparency is one we hear a lot about, of how it's important for leaders to be more transparent, whether that's in being more genuine about who they are, or in more pragmatic terms of openly sharing how an organization is doing and sharing insights and information with those they lead. So how do we go about creating this transparency, Stephen, so we can foster that relationship trust? Here's one way. Always try to tell the truth in a way that people can check and verify for themselves. So, you know, you're open. You're not hiding anything. You're just saying, hey, you know, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's why I declare my intent. I open my agenda. That's a way of being transparent. And the reason it's so critical, especially let's say there's, let's say on a team there's low trust to begin with. If there's low trust, people tend to not trust what they can't see. So the best thing you can do to help them change, you know, to help change that, to build the trust, let them see. Open it up as best you can, as much as you can. And look, you might have some constraints. There might be legal constraints or confidentiality constraints where you can't open everything up and that wouldn't be appropriate. But open up as much as you can. Let them people see as much as you can. And, and uh, be as, you know, as open, as, as, as transparent, transparent. That's why I call it, you know, declare your intent. Open yourself up. Open your agenda. 
And, and the very act of doing that will, it will communicate to people, there's nothing to hide here. There's no hidden agenda going on. Um, this person's genuine. They're real. They're authentic. I can trust that. Versus kind of having the hidden agenda where you don't want to open yourself up because there is a whole other side to this and, and, and such. And so you're not willing to you know, declare your intent. You're not willing to be open. You're not willing to be a little bit more vulnerable. So it takes some courage to do this. That's why integrity comes first, which gives you the courage. But this intent and declaring your intent and creating transparency, the behavior of creating transparency um, means, you know, light. I can see through. I'm open. So it's really a powerful behavior to build trust, especially if you're starting from lower trust. Because when there's lower trust, people won't trust what they can't see. So let them see as best as you can, as much as you can. It can change the whole dynamic of how people interpret you. Okay, there's so much I want to delve into here, Stephen, but I'm going to jump to the next behavior that I want to ask about, which is right wrongs. Now, I love this one because in some of my leadership keynotes, I share examples of why leaders have to free themselves from this false notion of having all the answers because it allows them to be open about making mistakes, which is reflecting what you just said about being transparent. So how do we make sure our behaviors are really about righting wrongs, Stephen? Right. And the whole, the whole premise here is, look, we all, we all fall short. We all make mistakes. So you make it right when you're wrong. And it is manifesting in your behavior. You, you can't talk yourself out of a problem that you behaved yourself into. So if we, if we lost people's trust because of our behavior, words alone are necessary, but they're insufficient. The only way to get the trust back is to behave our way back into trust. And that's what right wrongs is all about saying, look, I make a mistake. I apologize. I make restitution. I do my best to write it, to make it whole. You know, restitution is a legal concept to make whole. So I do my best to write it. And then going forward, I try to kind of say, look, I made the mistake. I'm going to write. I apologize. I write the wrong. And going forward, I want to regain, re-earn your trust. So here's what I'm going to try to do. Does this seem like it would be useful if I did these things going forward? I'm going to be open, transparent. I won't make it. I won't make a commitment I'm not going to keep, et cetera. And then the most important thing will be now I've got to do what I say I'm going to do. I've got to behave my way back into trust. And this is all part of kind of righting wrongs. Make it right when you're wrong. And the reason this is critical is that it's a low trust world. And if we couldn't kind of restore trust and regain trust, we'd all probably be circling the drain because we all fall short of the mark. And this enables us to, to learn, to improve, to get better, to make mistakes. But when we make mistakes, we own it. We take responsibility for it. We hold ourselves accountable to it. We learn from it. We right the wrong. We apologize. We make restitution. And we, we try to behave our way back into trust in order to regain it, to restore it. It's all part of righting wrongs. And, and it's critical because we all fall short, myself included. And this is a great behavior that enables us to learn and get better from our mistakes. Absolutely. Now, I want to squeeze in one last behavior because it's just so meaty, the insights you're sharing here, Stephen. So the last behavior I want to touch base on is one I think we can all agree is sorely lacking in our society in general, and that is the behavior extend trust. 
In reading about this behavior, I couldn't help but make the connection to all the divisive behavior and conduct we see online in the various social media channels, as well as in the political and social arenas, that we're developing this negative behavior, putting people into these outgroups, and consequently we look at them and we treat them with mistrust. Now, as a leader, you can't afford to put anyone into an outgroup, and yet as humans, that's what we're hardwired to do as part of our survival instincts. So... How do we go about making sure, Stephen, especially with this growing fragmentation we see going on in all different facets of society, both online and in the real world, that we're extending trust, especially to those our brain would make us consider as being outside of our in-group? I think it's critical that we understand that this behavior of extending trust is really the essence of what transforms a manager into a leader. The very act of trusting other people is an act of leadership. And, and so we have to be intentional about it and deliberate about it. And you're right. We tend to trust people that we're kind of alike, that are like us and we like them, kind of tribal trust. And we're oftentimes not as trusting with people with whom we're different, like you say, on the outs. And, and um, but um, when we don't trust others, they tend to not trust us back. And we can find ourselves perpetuating a vicious downward cycle of distrust and suspicion where nobody trusts each other and everyone feels justified about the distrust. But the great news is that it works the other direction. Just like distrust is contagious, trust also is contagious. And when you, you know, appropriately, and I call, I call it, Smart trust. So it's not just a blind trust where you just indiscriminately trust anyone and everyone, but rather a smart trust, an intentional trust where you extend trust to people because you're a leader. And that's what leaders do is they, they go first. And they, yeah, there's a risk to trust people, but there's also a risk to not trust people. So they're trying to be smart about it. They always have clear expectations on the trust being extended. There's always an agreed upon process for accountability to the trust being extended so that it's smart, but they are, they are deliberate, they are intentional about trusting people, extending trust to others. And what that does, Tanvir, is it generates a reciprocity of trust. When you trust people, they tend to trust you back. And, and, um, and it becomes a virtuous upward spiral. And people also are inspired by it. And they rise to the occasion. And they perform better. They want to give it back. They want to prove that it was justified. And it brings out the very best in them. And, and, and so what I'm suggesting, I'm so glad that you highlighted uh, this behavior of the 13, this last of them, this 13th behavior, extending trust, is that the reason I'm so happy is because the first job of a leader, our very first job is to inspire trust. And your, our second job is to extend trust. Well, how do we inspire trust? Well, those four cores of credibility will inspire trust. The first 12 behaviors in things like create transparency, right wrongs, keep commitments, listen first, that will also inspire trust. But it's this 13th behavior, extending trust. That is what transforms a manager into a leader. The first 12 behaviors will make me a more trusted manager, a more trusted administrator, a more trusted person. 
but it's this 13th behavior, extending trust, that makes me a trusting leader. And so what I would say to our listeners, the great leaders today, whether you're a leader of a, of a team, of a small group, of a division, department, you know, or, or of your own company, whatever role, whatever your vantage point, we got to start by being trustworthy. we got to inspire that by being trustworthy. But that's not enough. We also have to be trusting and willing to extend trust to others to generate the reciprocity of trust, to inspire people, to bring out the best in people, and to have them rise to the occasion and perform. And when we're both trustworthy and trusting, that is extraordinary leadership. And, and a way to kind of calibrate it so that we're not you know, too trusting in a low trust world is, is this idea of smart trust, where you use you know, good judgment, and you always have clear expectations and accountability to the trust being given, so there's judgment behind it. But I think we can be far more trusting than we might think it, were, it, it was possible if we kind of approach it from a smart trust standpoint. And if we approach it from seeing this is what leaders do, they inspire trust and they extend trust in a smart way. And I think the possibilities are limitless of what we can do. You know, think of Google 20% time, 20% of your time. They're saying you work on what you want. We trust you as long as it benefits the customer. From that came um, some of the great products, Google Earth, Google Labs, you know, Gmail. Many great products came from 20% time. Uh, 3M had the similar thing, 15% rule. We trust you. 15% of your time, you do what you want. From that came Post-it notes. You know, great ideas came from people who were trusted and how it inspired them and they rose to the occasion. So this is a differentiator for leaders is being willing to extend trust to people, including people that you're different from, that are on the outs, as long as you do it in a smart way with clear expectations, with accountability. So Stephen, there's so much we could delve into because this topic of trust and leadership has become even more critical in recent years. So to wrap things up here, what's the critical lesson you want our leaders to take heart of about trust and what's the message do you have to help us start turning this tide around and start building more bridges of trust in our workplaces and hopefully in our society at large? Wonderful. So here's a couple of takeaways. The first is to recognize that the ability to create trust is really the number one competency of leadership needed today more than any other. And the reason that's so is because if we get good at trust as a leader, it impacts and changes our ability to do every other competency that we need to have as a leader. It is high leveraged. It is a multiplier for everything else that we're trying to do. It's the essence of great relationships. Trust is the essence of great teams. It's the foundational element of a team. It's how we begin to collaborate. It's how teams innovate, how companies innovate. It's how we engage people and inspire them and bring out the best in them. So that'd be my first point is how that as all the things we can focus on as leaders, the ability to create trust is the number one competency because it changes every other competency and multiplies it. That'd be my first point. And my second point would be that trust is learnable. It is a skill. It is a competency. It's something we can learn and get better at and improve and move the needle on the ability to create trust on purpose. And that's what in the speed of trust book, as you saw, you know, the first there's 27 chapters in the book. The first two chapters are on that first point. 
that trust matters, that it's the most important thing as a leader because it impacts everything else you're doing. The, 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 the last 25 chapters, you know, all the rest of it is on the idea that you can learn how to create trust on purpose. It's learnable. And it starts through your credibility and through your behavior. And, and so, you know, I gave you four cores of credibility. That's the whole idea that the tree, and that makes you credible, makes you trustworthy. So look in the mirror. Start with yourself. How credible am I? Am I? Focus on your integrity and your intent. Focus on your capabilities and your results. Increase your credibility. But then also move into your behavior, including your willingness to extend trust to others. So if you make trust about you, about saying trust is built from the inside out, and rather than looking around and pointing the finger and saying, I can't trust him, I can't trust her, I can't trust them, instead saying, how can I build trust in my world? How can I work from the inside out? I look in the mirror, I start with myself, my credibility, my behavior, and I ripple out from there. And that would be my number one, you know, so my, 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 that would be my second takeaway. My first takeaway being why trust matters because it's the number one competency of leadership. And my second takeaway being it's learnable and it starts with ourselves looking in the mirror, focusing on, on our credibility and our behavior. And we can begin to create trust in our world and ripple out from there. And as we do that, everything else will change. It's powerful. Inside out is the best. It's the only way to build and sustain and grow the trust that will change everything else around us. And so that would be a couple of my takeaways. And, and you can get good at this. I'd also affirm our listeners, trust is learnable. You can get good at this. And, and if you focus on your credibility and your behavior, you can behave your way into greater trust and turn this into your greatest strength as a leader the ability to create trust. And so while it, while it takes two to have trust, two or more to have trust, it only takes one to start. And each of us, Tenvir, can be that one. Wonderful. Stephen, reading your book was like a masterclass on understanding the nature of trust and how leaders can take this perceived fuzzy concept and transform it into more concrete terms and actions so they can become the kind of leader that does build and nurture relationships. So their employees not only bring their best, but they feel valued and they know their contributions matter. In other words, you end up creating a workplace dynamic that's, as you said earlier in our talk, a win-win for all involved. So thank you both for sharing these insights in your book, as well as for coming on my show to share with my listeners. This was such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Tanvir. I appreciate what you're doing to build more trust in our world and to help people and leaders um, grow and, 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 and improve in their leadership because that is, you know, great leadership is getting results in a way that inspires trust so we can get results the next time and then the next time and there's always a next time. And so that whole mindset, that whole approach, building those kind of relationships of trust is great leadership. And I thank you for what you're doing to help be a catalyst in increasing trust in our world. It's very kind of you, Stephen. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. And to all our listeners, thank you so much. Well, as I just mentioned to Stephen, reading his book is like a masterclass on trust. And I think that's exactly what Stephen so generously shared with us now. In fact, I'm still thinking about those two ideas Stephen just mentioned about what we need to understand about trust if we want to be successful at leadership. So if you want to learn more about Stephen's book and his work on trust, 
please check out the show notes for this episode on my website at tavernaseer.com slash LBC. And that's a wrap on this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe brought to you by Tavernaseer Leadership. If you are looking for more insights on how to improve your leadership going forward, I invite you to check out our company's website at tavernaseer.com to see how we can help both through virtual and in-person leadership workshops and facilitations. And if you enjoyed listening to Stephen and I talk about trust in leadership, I'd appreciate it if you could help spread the word about this show by sharing this episode with your colleagues and employees. A real easy way to do this is to simply share our podcast page at tavernaseer.com slash LBC. On our podcast page, they will find links to subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. Better still, you can listen to every episode of our show using the built-in player found on our podcast page. By helping us get the word out, we can continue to provide these kinds of leadership insights with fantastic guests like Stephen to help you improve the way you lead. And with that, I'm Tavi Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Leadership Biz Cafe.